since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise breaker. The owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And this is the Bix Pod. Yes, it is. We're here to discuss um, Titus Andronicus this week. Mm-hmm. We're out of the weeds of the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, for the most part. For the most part. Um, <laughs> we're jumping right back in with Richard III next week or two weeks from now. A month from A now, month I from guess. Now, yes. Two episodes from now. Two episodes. Um, but today we're, we're jumping way back in time to ancient Rome and the kind of crazy story of revenge, the proto-Hamlet... Not really. Not really. But but in terms of revenge, it's kind of the the Ur Hamlet. Let's say it's it's yeah. the, the story of revenge that predates it. And um, uh, yeah, it's uh, Titus Andronicus. What can yes. what can you say? Its reputation kind of um, precedes precedes it. it and our discussion of it. However, before uh, we discuss it. We're going to have Lindsay describe it. Yeah, this is this is going to be exciting because a lot happens in this play and a lot doesn't happen in this play. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I'm not looking forward to trying to do this. It's going to be a tough one. No, you'll be fine. I you'll haven't even done. rehearsed it in my head. Well, that's fine. You can just do that now. Are you ready, Lindsay? I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. On your mark. Get set. <laughs> go. All right. So we have a Roman general returning from war with the Goths. He is uh, appointed Caesar and gives it away to another set of brothers. One of the brothers, Saturnius and Saturninus and Bassanius. I'm getting the names wrong. It doesn't really matter because they start fighting and they reel Titus into it. And the queen of the Goths who has been captured is reeled into it as well. And her lover ends up organizing and orchestrating this whole dastardly plot, which ends in everybody dying. One done. Hey, very impressive. After Lindsay. after starting really poorly, I butch- butchered like every name, didn't I? Well, the names Bassianus and, and Saturninus. Plus, you fell into my trap of overly describing yes. the initial incidents, yes. which yes. is this whole uh, introduction of the characters, basically. Um, yeah, and. But you did an okay job in that everybody dies pretty much. Yeah. It's very. You're right in that. I could have just said. Ancient Rome, everybody dies, and it would describe the play. Well, it, maybe with yeah. a little, you know, rape, murder, revenge. Yes, because of dies. revenge, everybody dies. Yeah. Everybody dies via revenge. Yeah, that would be the that would be the the theme of the play. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's start where we where we should start with all of these episodes. Did you enjoy Titus Andronicus, Hayden? I did not enjoy reading Titus Andronicus. I did enjoy. The film adaptation that we uh, watched ah, together. Ah, yes. The yes. 1999 Julie Tame War starring Anthony Hopkins version yes. of Titus Andronicus called Titus. Just called Titus. And it, it was quite good. Yeah. Uh, I think mostly in comparison to the text itself, having just finished reading the text and then watching the film, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Okay. Um, but not one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. Why? Um, it's poorly structured poorly put together and it doesn't really make a lot of sense in a lot of Mm. cases there's a lot of plot holes which you know obviously shakespeare the master dramatist you know that reputation is a little overblown there are plot holes in every everything that's ever been written that's fiction right because Mm -hmm. there's just things that uh you can't cover in a play especially in a play that's focused on poetry and so forth so there's things that just don't make sense uh it was worse in this play than Mm. in some of shakespeare's others uh that really bothered me very disturbing imagery uh like you mentioned a lot of rape uh, a lot of, you know, just gruesome things with hands being cut off. And People being baked into pies. Pies and tongues getting ripped out. Uh, it was a gruesome play full mm-hmm. of gruesome Im- imagery mm-hmm. uh, at, the, at the language level and at the actual physical actor mm-hmm. uh, level. So 
yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. No. How about you, though, Lindsay? What, what were your thoughts? Um, I actually liked the the reading of it. I, really? I read it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminded me of some of those great Greek tragedies that you read in, you know, your first year English class or maybe your high school English class. Yeah. You know, like Medea or stuff like that, where it's, it's very... Um, it's reliant on the reader kind of understanding the tropes that these characters fall into because they are sort of one dimensional in a lot of cases, right? Yeah. There's because it's Shakespeare, ostensibly, maybe we can get into that a little bit. Um, because it's Shakespeare, they're rounded out a little bit. So you have a, a character like Titus Andronicus who, um, you know, appears at the beginning to be just very honorable and and only follows the letter of the law and then kind of diverges from that a little bit and becomes a little bit more complex maybe as the the play goes on. Um, Characters like Lavinia that have, um, they evoke our sympathy, but they also evoke our scorn at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tamora does the same thing, I would argue. So um, it's it's not quite the, uh, the... you know, one dimensional, this is rage, this is fury, this is, you know, but it's, um, it's not far off. Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of what I like about it is that it's, it kind of distills, it's almost like you're, you're reading pure emotions on the page, right? So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of an intellectual exercise, I guess. I don't know. Um, but for the same reasons that you, said I, I didn't like the the violent imagery it's it is quite gruesome and uh and so yeah I was I was nervous about reading it so I think I think having very low not low expectations but the expectations I did have were a little bit confounded just because I found it a little bit easier and and more enjoyable to read than the history plays we've just slogged through so yeah that's fair enough and to be fair, uh, having just mentioned this in our boring episode, this was the one play that I can remember watching performed live that I did not enjoy at yes. all. I found it quite yes. boring. I feel like that was um, not the fault of the staging at this point because right. I, I really feel like the uh, Julie Taylor, Taymor, Taymor. Taymor, uh production uh, really did a, a, a thorough, well-thought-out very well put together, fairly high budget for, mm, you know, mm-hmm. 90s Shakespeare productions uh, kind of uh, film together. Yeah, well, and I think we can talk about the film at length, uh, and we will, I'm sure, towards the end of this episode, but um, it's very stylish. So it, it yeah. feels like a play that you could get away, like any of the Shakespearean plays, and it's been done, as we've seen, um, they can be done really stylishly and really inter- in interesting ways. Exactly. Put together. And, and that was kind of the wrap up to my thought was yeah. that the, the film did an amazing job of bypassing the weaknesses of the the text itself yeah. and other stagings possibly. Uh, but I, you can't count on that. And I would imagine it's hard to do that in a, on a on a stage as opposed to with the, the magic yeah. of film. Yeah, for sure. Villain, I have done thy mother. So, Linz, where did you want to start? I know there, there's a lot of... It is a very thematic play. Yes. We'll definitely have to give it that. There's yeah. there's a lot of repetition of keywords and phrases and ideas. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously, vengeance, this cycle yes. of vengeance is yeah. at the core of the play. It is kind of, as you've said, it's... It's of all of Shakespeare's plays that I that I've read. It's by far the most focused on a single activity of revenge because it's revenge right from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, Titus starts off by killing Tamora's eldest son mm-hmm. uh, as revenge for basically not quite as revenge. It's it's kind of a religious sacrifice yes. for the loss of his twenty two sons or, or twenty however many sons died <laughs> in this war. Uh, so he sacrifices uh, Tamora's oldest and then. From it, there ju- on, it just, it just carries on. It's yeah. like she has a grudge against him, and then there are people plotting everywhere. Yeah. Um, maybe we should start with just a brief rundown. My my very th- brief thirty second rundown yeah, did not did do not, justice. Did not cover but all I fe- I felt like um, going into the play, I needed I needed to read a synopsis first, and I needed to return to it because yeah. the play itself, with all of the Roman names and so many, you know. Demetrius, Bassianus, Saturn, Saturninus, I can't even say it right. Yeah. They're all, like, they blend together. There's a lot of brothers that yeah. are paired up, and, and it's hard to keep track. So yeah. so we have a, a war that's been going on between the Romans and the Goths, and the Romans have won, and they're bringing their... their um, 
captives. Yeah. Tamara or Tamora and her three sons and her lover Aaron the Moor and um, yes the eldest son is sacrificed and this sets off kind of a chain reaction in Tamora's um, kind of her storyline yeah. uh, her and Aaron kind of pair up inexplicably to set up the downfall of, of Titus and Rome I guess Yeah, but Titus mostly yeah, yeah. Um, for killing her son and, and all the other things that he did uh, in the meantime, we have the Caesar, the dead Caesar's son, Saturninus and uh, Bassianus, yeah. who are fighting over who gets to be Caesar um, to replace their father. Their father. Died, yeah. And of course, Titus has been nominated by the Senate, but he says that uh, Saturninus is the... Eldest, as the eldest yeah. son of the dead Caesar should assume the throne. Um, and Bassianus is... Uh, aghast beside himself, especially because Saturninus takes Lavinia, Titus's daughter, as his bride, or says he will, when she is already betrothed to Bassianus. So um, this sets up another conflict between now the Saturninus, the emperor of Rome, and Titus Andronicus and his family, because Bassianus takes Lavinia, even though Titus has said Saturninus can marry her. Um, so now Titus is between these two brothers but he's also caused a schism in his own family and he kills one of his sons for helping Lavinia go with Bassianus so there's this um the the Goths who are still you know out there and they haven't been completely defeated there's still this lingering threat out there there's Goths in the city in the form of Tamora and her sons and Tamora is eventually taken as as the empress of Rome yeah. marries Bas uh Saturninus um, so now a goth has been elevated to the level of empress. Um, and we have Titus, whose family is falling apart. And there's th this sets up all of the conflict. This is all in Act 1. Yeah. This is this like is literally in one scene. In one scene all yeah. of this is set up. Yeah. Um, so you have... Uh, I don't know how to how to even go from here because the the web starts to become very, very complicated. We get uh, Tamara setting up two of Titus's sons to take the fall for killing Bassianus. Yeah. Uh, Aaron has told two of Tamara's sons, Chiron and Demetrius, that they can rape Lavinia and that's how they can um, both possess her because yeah. she's the most beautiful woman. She is literally compared and equated to Rome. Yeah. Um, so they kill her husband they take her and rape her and then cut off her hands and her tongue in order to keep her from Naming snitching them. on yeah. them. And then they, they set up Titus' sons as the fall guys for this. And this um, causes Titus to, to kind of start a spiral into uh, madness, I guess, is how you could... Uh, sensibly, or at least, you know, yes. he falls apart at the sense of not no longer being a... A political player, he kind of fades away for exactly. a second. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then he does return. Right. Um, and he returns once, uh, especially once uh, Lavinia finally names her attack. Exactly. It kind of galvanizes him into uh, a single-minded focus again on revenge. on revenge yeah. against Tamara and her and her offspring. So he he there's this weird interlude where the he sends his banished son to go rally the Goths to come and attack Rome, yeah. inviting the invaders into yeah. into the city. Um, and meanwhile, uh, there's Saturninus is trying to um, have peace talks almost with this this son and and maybe the Goths as well, right? Yeah. But Tamara comes in and, and sets up this play within a play that's very strange. And in the process, Titus manages to get Chiron and Demetrius away from her. And then he kills them and bakes them into pies that he then feeds to Tamara and Saturninus yeah. at the banquet at which they've tried to have peace talks. Yeah, and then everybody dies. And then everybody dies. Everybody Literally everybody. in like, like, I don't know how many lines. It's like Titus kills the sons. He Then he kills... Tamara, then, um, uh, then what happens next? Oh, uh, Saturninus, Saturninus kills, kills Titus, Titus, and, and then, then Titus's son Lucius yes. kills Saturninus. Yes, and then it's literally like four lines. Literally, yeah. like it's just boom, boom, boom. You dog. They're all uh, dead. And they're dead. Yeah. And then, yeah. So Lucius ends up becoming uh, the new emperor, emperor yeah. because there's literally nobody left. Yeah. Who Again, can, yeah. Who Very Hamlet-like. Yes, this. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so it's literally from the beginning, just you've wronged me. 
So this is how I'm going to exact revenge. And it's not simple revenge. It's very complex, yeah. like scheming. Um, yeah, like very thick webs of, of scheming. It's really hard to keep track of. Like even as I'm talking about it, I'm like, I'm sure there's things we've missed. Like, very, <laughs> Well, and even if you were just listening missed. to this description, it wouldn't really make much sense. Well, like, yeah. And, that's, and that was the thing reading the play is that I had trouble kind of keeping yes. track of who was double crossing who and when and how and what was Aaron's role. And all, there's all these moving parts and it's not super clear. The, the Again, the film did a really good job yes. because it was so colorful and the characters, the actors especially did such mm. a great job of portraying the actors or sorry, portraying the characters in this kind of flashy uh, kind of in your face style that the the characters remained memorable even when on the page they have a relatively small role let's say or their role is kind of sidetracked by other things in the the larger push of the narrative like Lucius doesn't really have a giant role until the end um, but he's very present in the film in the film they keep him front and center for a lot of things and they have same with the brother Marcus who does have a very yeah, um, he does have impressive a big role. role. Uh, he's leader of the Senate, I think, or something. He's a tribune, or yeah. tribune, yeah. yeah. But he's um, he, in the film. He does. It, it's it's quite clear that I think it's just easier to see it again. This is why watching Shakespeare is is infinitely better. is better. So really, if you're at this point in our podcast <laughs> and you're like what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, yeah just go um, watch the movie. Just go watch the movie. It's well worth it. And Julie Taymor does do a phenomenal job. Yes, um, her, it's well suited to her style. Of, exactly. Of if you remember, like she she stuff, did yeah. uh, the uh, 2006 film Across the Universe yeah. full of Beatles imagery and psychedelic imagery, which was fantastic. And I know that I'm in the minority yeah. of Beatles fans, I think, who, who love that movie, but I really do love that yeah. movie. Um, so it's very much in that vein, just very over the top and flashy and, and quite... Um, but still faithful to the text. Very it's, faithful to the text. Yeah, so I, it, I found, it didn't yeah. cut much. There was there was a few lines I noticed they they dropped and stuff like that. But or it was, changed or something. Yeah, but, but it was nothing. Uh, or switched. I, I know there was one where they they gave a character a line that somebody yeah, else. Somebody else but it made sense in the the yeah, narrative the rest narrative, of the film. Yeah. So it, it it is well worth it. And just for Anthony Hopkins and Jessica Lang as Tamara. Yeah, Jessica Lang is great. Um, yeah. So. Um, when it comes to the play itself, though, there are a few things that I wanted to talk about. Yep. And uh, the first one is kind of this maternal imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, when we did our, our Women in Shakespeare episode, I, I think we might have mentioned uh, yeah, I remember, Tamara. Yeah, because the book we'd read. Women of Will. Women of Will. Yes. Uh, Tina Packer. Yes, yes. I yes. uh, did mention her. Yeah. Expressly. And, and, and I mean, yeah. she she is the only overtly maternal figure. She's the only mother who appears on screen. Lavinia, there are a few women. Tamora, Tamara, I'm going to mix that. I'm just going to interchangeably. Uh, Lavinia and Tamora are the only two uh, women characters aside from a nurse who appears at one point. Yeah, that's true. Um, They really are the only two women in the play and Lavinia is not a mother. No. She's a married woman, but she's uh, held up as like virginal, right? Whereas Tamara, Tamora is the mother of at least three children and she's very defensive of her children, yeah. which is an admirable thing that most people, especially Shakespeare, would usually, you know, hold up as this is what this is what mothers do. They're, they nurture and, and but she's a violent person and she yeah. takes this to such extremes. And she's also a very sexual person. So that's that's something else I want to talk about with Tamara versus Lavinia, yeah. which we'll get to. But um, just sticking with the maternal imagery, I mean, I think in terms of 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 mothers in general if we ignore all the other stuff that Tamara does she's actually a a good mom she's like trying yeah. to support and and save her children and um like I, I don't think she's a good person no but she is but her uh, motivation is quite clear and quite maternal yeah in that way she is, is looking after right? her children whereas Titus is the anti-matriarch yes. in this way right. because he doesn't give a shit about his guilt. He literally murders his own son because he gets in his way. Well, yeah, exactly. And this is the thing. Like, like Titus is so uh, hyper-focused, at least at the beginning, on honor and what is the right thing to do. Yes. Um, he protects the family as a patriarch, whereas... Uh, Tamora protects her children as a matriarch, and that's yeah. and that's a very d- a small but important difference because Titus doesn't actually care about the people; he cares about his name. He cares about the Andronicae yes. yes. family. And I think it's it's how it relates to Rome. I yeah. think it's how it relates to the to the culture that he's brought up in. So yes. it's very societal 
like his his is is a a civic kind of duty that he has yes. with his family and yes. and and Tamara is much more um like nuclear family yeah. this is this it's very, is it's tribal versus yes, roman exactly. yeah it's exactly it's, yeah expressing that um which is interesting because i mean the play really sets it up that that and and we expect this that the other is the Goths, and we should be siding with the yes, the, the Romans. proud Romans, exactly. Yes. But in the end, it's not really clear who is more barbaric or not. And it's even mentioned in that very first act when uh, Chiron, I think, mm. is the one who says that, um, like, even Scythia was never this barbar- Bad, barbarous. Yeah, yeah. Like Rome is supposed to be this this civilized place, and you're murdering people in in the name of some yeah. archaic pagan ritual which is funny coming from the goths ostensibly who are the the others right so um so we're meant to question this which is why i think titus is a is a tragic hero because his flaw is that he believes so strongly in in um in that honor in that civic role in rome to the detriment of his own family right every single one of his children with the exception of marcus is murdered by yeah. the end of the play. Yeah. Um, and Lucius. Some of them, and yeah. well, Lucius. Sorry, Sorry Mark, yeah. I meant Lucius. Yeah. Marcus is his brother. Yeah. Um, Titus's brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Lucius is the only one who, who is alive. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's quite harrowing. But when you, when you actually do look at, at Tamora as a mother, um, and yeah, great contrasting her with Titus, um, it's clear that she's, she's different from, other mothers yes. that we talk yes. about like i i would argue she's one of the oh, i really hate saying this but she's one of the better mothers <laughs> just because she is so defensive of her children yeah um but we have other mothers mentioned even though they aren't feminine rome for yeah, example is is the, is the mother, mother yeah. right and and we have right at the beginning um the tomb that mm-hmm that Titus puts his sons in it, it's there's a there's a womb like imagery yeah, he, he even much. talks about how um they, they'll never come forth from for me again like you're gonna take them back right yeah. and uh so that equation of of tomb and womb and Rome and as Rome a mother is, yeah, yeah. um really does round that that out yeah. um which comes back to Lavinia if she is equated with Rome yes. you know she does have that that cachet i guess yeah but it's it's interesting because she's by definition not uh motherly no you know, because she is virginal she's chastity she's it's it's a very interesting kind of um elizabethan uh imposition of those kind of morals i mean rome definitely had concerns about chastity of women and and so on sure. and so forth but it was it was far more expansive in the christian era yeah um you know the virginal mother and so forth like these were the idols these were the the points of women there were no uh pagan goddesses of love and sex you know no. like in in the christian era so it's it's kind of uh an elizabethan uh adaptation to her character sure but it's one that still works within uh rome because as uh Titus explains right before he murders Lavinia, which we didn't even get to. No, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, is that her shame of being raped has mm-hmm. tarnished his his family name? Yeah. So uh, she will she can never take on the proper motherly role uh, because she's been tarnished by this. So right. she, her once her chastity has been ruined, mm-hmm. uh, she can no longer become a mother. Right. Uh, and and that, literally because she's murdered. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, that helps in the end. Yes. yes. Yeah. But yeah, his, his point is that this is, you know, once, once he, she's been ruined metaphorically, uh, she has no role whatsoever anymore. And it's, it's, it's a shame on the family in yeah. that way. Yeah, exactly. Which comes back. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong to say that Titus grows at all because he still is very much concerned with, with the Andronikai as, yeah. as a thing, which at that, at that point literally is just him and, and his Lucius uh, and Lucius. his brother marcus i guess and yeah. i guess his grandson yeah young, young lucius, lucius but yeah. there's not many andronikai left you <laughs> know true. so yeah um but he's still like hyper fixated on on that although maybe at the end his point is you know lavinia is her her death at the end can be played in a lot of ways and and there have been productions where she assents to mm-hmm. this because she's she's really a pawn in the grander scheme of of titus's um 
revelation that Chiron and Dem- he knows about Chiron and Demetrius and what they did to her and they, he knows that Tamara was behind it and so I mean there's there's more at play there it's it's not just that she was shamed and and brought shame upon the family it's true and and the the film adaptation played that an interesting kind of balance way it wasn't yeah. super clear that she knew she was going to die but yeah she didn't seem afraid of death either no right up until the final moments it yeah. was it's it's a strange strange situation yeah. but let's let's talk about lavinia yeah let's we, talk I think about we have to rape yeah. <laughs> and voice and uh words yeah because that's it's really the the thrust of the play mm-hmm. to be very crude with that metaphor holy shit <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even catch that it's good lens. yeah um yeah so i mean lavinia is is physically and and literally raped by Chiron and Demetrius um but she is she doesn't really have much agency at all throughout the entire play like from the very beginning she has this um she's fought over by Bassianus Bassaninus Bassaninus the B1 and Saturninus Bassianus and Saturninus um You'll have to excuse me. I'm I'm getting over a cold, yeah. so I'm I'm mixed up in the head. But you got it. Um, uh, so she's fought over by them, which is mirrored later on when she's when she's fought over by the brothers Karen and Demetrius. Mm. And uh, so, well, that's and, and it's interesting. Like they don't just fight over it. And when uh, Bassianus mm-hmm. takes her, uh, it at one point Saturninus yes, calls it a rape. He does. He says you'll pay for this rape, and Bassianus is like rape. It's, it's my mine. Patrol. She's mine. She's mine. Yeah. I, I can't steal her. Yeah. She's mine. So it, and Lavinia says nothing through this whole no, scene at all. She is literally just taken and run away with. Yeah. Uh, so she's kind of silenced. Yes. And raped twice. Yes, exactly. Um, and this this was pointed out especially in the, the essay. Again, we've we always enjoy the the Folger li- Shakespeare Library uh, essay. They kind of put in a nice modern perspective which is which is that's what they're called they're the modern perspective essays and uh this one did a a good summary i mean we i think we both noticed this before but yes she is literally and uh figuratively in the first instance i guess raped twice over the course of the play and literally and figuratively silenced yes so in the in the second rape after that she is has her hands and her tongue cut off so she's unable to speak or write the names of her attackers and it it mirrors the um, the rape of Philomel Philomela um, mm. in a, a classical, I think, Ovid, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so, which is plays an important role because that's the story she eventually points to when she names her attackers um, in her nephew's uh, yeah, textbook book or whatever. Reading, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I had a point which I I've kind of lost, but <laughs> sorry I interrupted. But no, was, that's okay. It was about the rape and the, and the ability to speak. Especially. Yeah, yeah. So and and I mean, there's some interesting stuff going on with words and how words have power, and it's it's literally brought to the to the screen, uh, to the stage, in the moment when Titus and his followers fire arrows into the castle yeah. when they wrap the the accusations and. The pleas to, to the, the gods, gods yeah. around arrows and then send them firing into the sky. And of course they land in the courtyard and Saturninus picks them up and that sets um, more of his anger in motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but literally the words become weapons yeah. because there are letters wrapped around each of these arrows and, yeah. and then Saturninus is able to read them. Um, but there's rape imagery in that too because I think Virgo, the, the constellation Virgo is yeah. mentioned... Is it Virgo? Where he inst- where Titus in- instructs one of the the men to shoot it into her lap, and an arrow is very that. phallic, yeah. and yeah. and you're shooting it into the lap of a female god or uh, goddess or and and if it's Vir- yeah. I, that's why I think it's Virgo, so it's <laughs> it's a virgin. So there's yeah a lot going on yeah, there, right? Yeah. Um, but yes, Lavinia's rape is is uh, is quite brutal, and then to the fact that she literally has her voice taken away well any ability to communicate taken mm-hmm. away is is quite harrowing and then i guess a third instance of of rape is almost kind of enacted in the the film did a really interesting thing with it where um marcus her uncle gives her his staff to write mm-hmm. with and he he tells her to put it in her mouth so that she can write with it and um and some people have read that as um a third act of, of violation, yeah. something being inserted into Lavinia that 
maybe she doesn't, maybe she does want, in this case, I'm sure she would want to spell the name of her attacker, but it's not um, a pleasant way to, anytime anybody in this play instructs Lavinia to put shit in her mouth, yeah, it's like, it's like oh, very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the movie, she she looks at it and she almost does it, but then she puts it under her chin, kind of next to her, her shoulder, shoulder so in order to, to write with her stumps and her... So that was interesting just because it, it felt like another instance of, of um, things being acted upon yes. in a, in a, a quasi-rapey kind of yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, when I first read the play that way, I was like, it was kind of the opposite of this this admittedly phallic kind of thing is giving her a voice. It is her mm, new tongue. Yeah. I always kind of viewed it as a positive thing. It wasn't until I right. kind of considered this this alternative look at it. Right. Um but it's it's definitely her character is is defined by her voice, and mm-hmm. I think there's a couple lines where Titus even says like she has the sweetest voice in all right. of Rome, and and all these things. So by losing her voice, Rome is also losing its voice, and yeah. it, it, it ties it back again to I mean the sack of Rome or the rape of yes. Rome, you know, by the Visigoths, I think, yeah. which were the Goths after the Goths. I don't remember my ancient history very well, um, but you know they come in and they sack and destroy and rape right. Rome, right. Um, and we see, and you mentioned at the beginning, uh, well, not the beginning, but early on here, uh, about how the distinctions between the Goths and the Romes yes. start to fall apart. And the fact yeah. that Lucius goes out into uh, German area, I guess, and gathers an army of Goths, yeah. pushes them back into Rome. And yes. at the end, they're just kind of invited into the city because yeah. he's the new emperor and he has this army of Goths, which is actually historically what happened. Like right. uh, Rome just kind of absorbed a lot of uh, people from outside the emperor and it wound up weakening a lot of, like they counted on them to be soldiers and stuff like this. So this is a historical fact too, mm-hmm. that they've, um, the 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 barriers between uh romans and barbarians yeah. as a general term break down fe- yeah they fell apart and so uh rome loses its voice in lavinia and it's replaced by a gothic you know tribe tribal right. voice it's right. it's it's tamora screaming uh or throwing up or so, whatever she does when she realizes that she's eating her sons like right. this is the kind of barbarism that's replacing civilized Rome. Right. And right. so so these these whole ideas of civilization versus uh tribe tribal ideas and stuff are just falling by the wayside and everybody is Scythia, you know, yeah, <laughs> at right, the end of the right. day. So yeah. it, it is interesting that she is so closely tied to the personification of Rome itself. Yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. And that and that you have um a a rape of Rome sort of at the end, yeah. when when the Goths are invited in, yeah. um, even though prior to this they were the the, the enemy. dreaded en- enemy, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, that's that's definitely another um, another aspect of it. the The third thing I want to talk about with regard to rape is um, with the return. It's it's written very interestingly in in the in the text itself, where. Um, when Tamora eats the pies yes. containing the, the minced up pieces of her sons, they're returned to her body, but it's mm. in a way that is... Yeah, uh, non-consensual. No, it's non-consensual. <laughs> she definitely does not know that she is uh, eating her children. Yeah. But there's... I, I read a really interesting paper by David Wilhern called... Um, I think it's Rape and Revenge in Titus Andronicus, which I'll, I'll link um, up to... Uh, our our landing page on our website um so it it's it's a, a kind of a freudian or a psychoanalytical look at titus andronicus which was very popular in the 70s when this paper was written um so the and and he gets into a little bit of the the oedipal you know yeah, implications implications stuff, of yeah. of wanting to you know or yeah oedipal Electric complex. I don't yeah, think that's yeah. that's more for women. Sure. The Oedipal uh, drive to fuck your mother, yeah. right? Which is not overt in the play when it comes to Chiron and Demetrius, but but it's well, they do have an orgy point. with her nearby. Yeah, and like stuff. I mean, like it's it's it's, it's semi permeable. Yeah. The barrier that goes between, yeah. especially in the film. Sorry. Yes. Well, yeah, in the film. film yeah. yeah. But but I mean, this is this is what I'm getting at it's it's kind of implied at the end that with all of the the references to pits and holes and wombs yeah. and 
tombs and all that stuff that here's this mouth of this horrible woman this hell beast yeah. right and she's devouring the flesh of her children and and what happens to food when you devour like it becomes part of you again right yeah. and and that's but it's a it's a violation of her so in a sense timora tamara is raped in a way yeah um or at least violated and and in this way it's by the bodies of her children yeah which is just gross it really is. Like, it that's really what I'm is. talking about this play and just gross. It's really there's just, brutal. There's a lot of gross. I, I was listening, we were listening to one of Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History podcasts. Mm-hmm. And th- was there not uh, a historical... Oh, yeah. Is there a historical truth a like where, where this actually happened, yeah. where people were baked into pies? Oh, yeah. So yeah. this is not something that Shakespeare just Oh, no. This is happening dreamt a couple of There was even a, a reference think in like from the 17th century involving the english army in scotland or something like that where they they did something along these lines and it was horrible really brutal so i mean blood no, that was a red wedding sorry never oh, mind that was a different red reference <laughs> i was getting my game of thrones references mixed up sorry about that i mean we have just spent like three months on the wars of the roses oh, we're coming so. back next week too anyway um i guess the next logical step to take uh, after talking about Lavinia and Tamora and rape, is to compare Lavinia and Tamora. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the only two women, aside from Rome itself, who are present in the play. And they are presented as kind of two sides in the Elizabethan ideal yeah. for a woman. There's the virginal Lavinia and there's the, you know, horror yeah. of, of well, yeah. Tamara, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that we've already talked about uh, Tamara's maternal instincts and how that kind of maybe mitigate some of the evil that she she really is doing all of this in the name of protecting her children Mm -hmm. which is i guess in a way kind of admirable lavinia on the other hand is is set up as as beautiful she's like helen of troy she's gorgeous she is rome personified she's just this beautiful woman and yet her flaw is and and it is a pretty intense flaw she says some horrible shit to tamara doesn't she yeah some of the stuff she says is like completely like it's just not what you would expect a virtuous beautiful virginal woman married woman to say and i have to wonder what the point of that is if you're going to have are you talking about their exchange right before Bastianus yes. is killed and and yeah. uh, Lavinia is raped. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it shocked a lot of viewers. It was one of the reasons why this play fell out of favor. Hmm. The violence, yes, but also they they couldn't square Lavinia as um, somebody we should pity when she says such horrible things. These things should never come out of the mouth of a, of a virtuous hmm. woman. So um, so we do have an equation. We have the virgin and the whore, but we also have the virtuous um, the, the virtuous virgin saying mean things and the whore doing honorable things by her children. So yeah. I feel like we're not... Like, <laughs> it is a more morally gray area. Yeah, than, it really is, yeah. right? Like I, I find that really interesting that we have these two women who are not... They're, like like I said at the beginning, we we do have some some nice neat boxes that these characters more or less fit into. But but when you when you break it down, there's yeah, more there's going more. on there. And that's where the Shakespeare touch. I, I know that there are people who think that Shakespeare didn't write um yes. all of the play yeah. or that this was another collaboration or was misattributed or something like that. But um but I find I, I really do feel like those those subtle twists and things are are yeah. things we we learn about later yeah. in other characters that we can attribute to Shakespeare. I, I, I it's almost like that that special Shakespeare touch. Yeah. I don't know. No, it's true. And and I think you're kind of leading me towards one of the characters I think we haven't talked about yet, but I think mm-hmm. is more interesting is Aaron. Yeah. The more. Yeah. Uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, he has a son with uh tomorrow yes he does so uh you know and there's this this whole exchange with him and his baby is quite interesting actually because he's he and he views himself this way he is the personification of evil yeah he uh, yeah right he has he dies, no no compunction with saying no anything, i am the worst, worst person yeah i yeah, i right, scorn all the good things yeah, i ever exactly, did <laughs> yeah he said right before he dies he's like if there was anything i ever did in my good if there's anything good i ever did in my life i, I regret it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. 
but at the same time, he does something very noble for his yeah. son. He is willing to spill all the beans and, and he explains how he's plotted all these events that mm-hmm. have led Titus and the Andronicai family uh, down the tubes um, to save his son. Mm-hmm. So in- His son that nobody else... The, the, the yeah. nurse wants the son dead. Yeah. Um, Tamara wants the son dead, which is interesting because it's still her son, but it's a son that she's disavowed, yeah. right? Yeah. Everybody well, wants this son killed, except, except for Aaron, Aaron. who's he... the most evil character Shakespeare possibly <laughs> well, ever wrote. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and is he? Because he right. does have this redeeming quality in a play about what you're willing to do for your children. Yeah. Um, and so he is, he is this other kind of counterpoint to Tamara and Titus of he will do anything for mm-hmm. his children even when they're bastards even when they're disowned he calls his son a slave multiple times he's that's his name for it he's like you're gonna be a slave because a you're black and b you don't have a mother to take care of you and whatever right uh so he is he's this he's this entirely different path um that is that is played down by shakespeare and by or by the authors uh in his final moments where he's literally telling you in first person, like, I am evil. I'm completely evil. Everything I've done is bad. Yeah. And and you're supposed to just gloss over this, this, this really heroic kind of approach he's taken to his son. He's, he murders a nurse for his yeah. son. He wants, uh, Chirin and Demetrius to, yeah. uh, uh, kill the, the other woman who was alive, uh, who saw the birth of yes. the baby. Yeah. Um, you know, he's willing to go to these extreme lengths, uh, and, it's with no support, no ulterior motive, unlike Tamora and Titus. Titus yeah. has this uh, civic duty, as you mentioned, and Tamora has uh, this limitation to her motherhood. Right. You know, in some ways, Aaron is the most motherly figure because right. he is, he cradles, he's the one we see loving this baby. There's yeah. only one baby on stage yeah. the whole time. And, and Aaron really and does Aaron. hold it most yeah. of the time and is in contact with it most of the time yeah. until his death, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that that is really interesting, um, and Aaron is Aaron is an interesting figure because Shakespeare wrote very few black characters, yeah. um, and this was at a time when when they're just it just wasn't done. If you were writing a black character, it was for a very specific purpose, well, and Shakespeare in this, one, yeah. in this one it was for sure. <laughs> yeah. But there's still that little grain of of yeah. goodness almost that's yeah. put in this character, so it's not. You're not allowed to to box these characters in completely. Mm-hmm. This is not to say that Aaron is, is a good guy. A good guy. <laughs> he is a horrible person. He says it himself. Yeah. Um, but but he does these honorable things for this most innocent, this baby that was born completely innocently, mm-hmm. didn't ask to be there. Yeah. So yeah, I think that is that is a striking um, counterpoint to Titus and Tamora. Yeah. Absolutely. Why then the world's mine oyster, which I with sword will open. Something I didn't mention that maybe, can we just return to Lavinia really quickly? Sure. Um, her, re- the removal of her voice and her agency eventually leads to the, the her end, her death, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but when she's found by her uncle and he brings her to, um, to Titus, there's there are multiple instances where, and you remarked on this too. Um, all these characters are demanding her to tell them what happened to her, and she can't because yeah. she's yep. uh, com- completely incapable of doing so. Um, but Marcus gives this impassioned plea when he first sees her, is still imploring her to to talk, and then brings her to Titus and says, "This was thy daughter," and Titus responds with why Marcus so she is and I found that really interesting because um it's almost like Marcus at this point has um written her off Mm -hmm. she's referred to in past tense this was thy daughter and in the act of saying so she is Titus almost brings her back to life and gives her a second wind that leads to her death at his hands but but by supporting her it is I think one of the more honorable things that Titus does in the play. And it is, well, it's an important moment in Titus's character. Yeah. And the, the whole play yeah. is the fact that he 
you know, he, he basically breaks at this point. He, yeah. this is when he falls apart. And, um, shortly after there's a moment where he just starts laughing and he says, I have no more tears. Right. Because so. his sons have been accused of murdering yeah. the, the emperor's brother. So they're being carted away to their deaths. And he thinks in cutting off his hand, he'll be able to save them. Which and is it another doesn't. ploy of Aaron. Yes. Sorry, we didn't mention that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there are so many ploys of Aaron's. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and he literally starts laughing, and everybody. It's it's a striking moment because, yeah. it's 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 what leads to the believability of his going mad later on yeah. in the next act, but um, or later on. But he, um, it, it's played so strangely because you have this character who's been wailing and and has had so much misfortune laid upon his head. And he just starts laughing. It's and, and it's an interesting point because it yeah. then after that point he becomes, especially once uh, t- uh, Lavinia names her attackers, yes. he has that course of action again. And, yeah. and that was another uh, good point in the the uh, Folgers essay was to was that uh, Titus is a man of action. Mm-hmm. He's a military man. Yeah. He was a soldier for 30 years or however long he said. A general enough, who was elected sen- uh, yeah, Caesar. Yeah, you know? yeah like it could have been at least. Could have been. And... Uh, once he has that military drive, he's in his element and he's yes. good at it. And yeah. he's really good at it. I mean, he yeah. kills the sons, bakes him into a pie, rubs Tamora's face in it. And then murders, murders his her. daughter. Yeah, murders <laughs> his daughter and then murders her. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 an incredible turnabout from from that moment in the play when uh, his sons have been taken away, but they haven't died yet. And he hasn't lost his hand yet, but he knows things are going bad. Lucius, his son, is about to be uh, exiled and stuff. And he just wails and he cries. And he, 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 and he when he finds out about Lavinia, too, yeah. he laments it. Yeah. He says, you know, I shall we all uh, cry tears together yes. until we're all dead? Shall we all cut off our hands to be like you? Yeah. Uh, he he is a man of complete inaction. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't he, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do. Any but he he doesn't even try to find out. Yeah, exactly. Really. Like anybody could have told her to put a stick in her shoulder. But well, sure, you know, uh, it just it's it's this turning point of his character uh, when she when she moves, and that's also how the play uh, progresses after that point. It's yeah, it's it is in Act Three, and it's it's the typical like what changes in the play. Titus gets mad. Yeah. <laughs> and he, get, yeah. he gets mad instead of sad. And yeah. once that happens, uh, yeah. everybody better run. Cause he's which coming. is, which is, I mean, we talk about toxic masculinity <laughs> and we have done on the, on the play. I mean, or on the, the podcast, but um, it's, it's interesting that, that he's given the space to feel he is given, given mm-hmm. that ability, which is cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm appreciative for that, but the play only moves forward really when, yeah. when the main character, the named character, the tragic character, uh, finally has that that angry fire lit beneath him. It's the yeah. only time when agency pushes the play forward. Up until that point, there's behind-the-scenes machinations going on, but it's not... Um, it's not overt action the way that Titus does it. And yeah. and there's, there's something um, that's very... I, I don't know... It, I hate using the phrase toxic masculinity <laughs> in this context, but it does feel like that's the only way that, that we get well, going. And with it, it makes sense within the context. It of the does. Part, because it is about the hyper-masculine Romans versus, right. I mean, they have a female for a ruler, the, the goths. Like yeah, what's exactly. what craven. Yeah. Cause we don't even know. Things. Like, like she has children. So presumably somebody knocked yeah, her up. There was a king of the goths. Was there at a one king point? of the goths though? Did, like he's not he's there. Never he's never once. mentioned. Yeah. So she is, she, potentially is the ruler and that's not uncommon we have Boudicca as a mm-hmm. as a female ruler of the the Iceni tribe in in Celtic Britain yeah. um it, it's something that the Romans encountered but yeah. it was always uh these pagan tribes that yeah. they encountered I say that even though the Romans are considered pagan. uh, pagans at this time these, these are pre-Christian or, or around Christian yeah, Romans times, we're yeah. talking about but um but yeah they're they're those those uh, barbaric tribes yeah. that have women as leaders, right? Yeah. Double, double toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. The last point that uh, of imagery, the strong imagery that comes through in the plays um, with regard to holes and pits. We, we kind of briefly touched on this. Um, we have the, the, the womb, tomb imagery in the beginning. There's the hole that 
uh, the two sons whose names I've forgotten, Titus's, Titus's sons, sons yeah, who were, yeah. yeah, get framed for Bassianus's murder. Um, they fall into a pit that Aaron later leads or leads them to thinking that there's a tiger trapped in a pit. Um, and then we have the, the pit of uh, Tamara's mouth, which consumes her children. There's also um, the, the, to put it crudely, the, the various ways that Lavinia is violated. Um, those are holes that are being violated. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of whole imagery in the play and it's um i guess just another way of kind of reinforcing that these things are happening most of this is happening outside of rome's walls yeah right so i mean there's there's a, a natural natural maybe isn't the right word but it's in the natural world it's not in the civilized walls of, yes. of rome yes. where these so things are this, happening yeah a lot of it happens in this hunting trip and, and so yeah forth, exactly but when it does happen inside the walls of rome when tamara eats her children mm-hmm. it it leads to the barbarization is that a word mm-hmm. of the whole thing and the whole thing kind of as aiden mentioned falls apart and we have goths invading the city welcomed into the city not invading the city um so i i just i i don't have a point to make with that it was just something interesting that that came up as kind of that contrast of what happens outside the walls of rome mm-hmm. with pits and holes and shit and then what happens within the walls of rome and how those two things kind of become fluid and and we have a breakdown of of even the body i think at the end um, Lucius is invited to well at the beginning Titus is the head for the, is it at when he there's a headless body it's a it's a thing that's talked about a lot when the Caesar is dead when there's no leader that's a headless body yes yeah so so Lucius isn't is the, there's not just no body but there's <laughs> there's limbs hacked off and yeah. all, all kinds of things like the the body of Rome has been completely dismembered and Lucius is supposed to step up and and take over um and it's partly because there's so much barbarism has happened so much of the the outside hunting trip pits and and everything outside has invaded rome and it's not the goths themselves that are the cause of it although they are it's just (laughs) it's it's rome has invited a lot of this stuff to happen to itself through the actions of their most honorable general you know well and the two heirs to the to the caesarship and so forth yeah exactly so i mean it's it's it kind of feels a little bit like a condemnation of of that civilized space in a way, mm-hmm. which is again something that Shakespeare does very well. It makes very you subtly. look at these things and and it's not simple. It's you have to, you know, kind of look at it from another angle. Or you're forced to. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickering. So this week's episode of Marriage Canceling, as my wife gives me multiple fingers. <laughs> I is, only have two. Yeah, well, that's more than one, which is multiple. <laughs> Uh, is we are going to discuss who's responsible for all the terrible deaths that happen in this play. <laughs> um, Lindsay, you're up first. Who do you think is ultimately responsible for everything that goes wrong? For everything that goes wrong, it's Titus Andronicus. Titus is responsible for everything that happens in this play. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because his initial reaction, it, I, I don't think he was... no. Fuck it. He was wrong. He should have assumed the Caesarship and just his his uh, if that had happened, none of the bad stuff would have would have gone wrong. Lavinia would have married Bassianus. Um, that would have gone on whatever. Um, he Tamora and her sons would have probably been kept in chains and not elevated by Saturninus to uh, official status in the court. Um, if he his his modesty, which maybe to the Romans and certainly to the Elizabethans would have been seen as something admirable, mm-hmm. um, a virtue of his, is ultimately what leads to his downfall. And then after that, he just doubles down on everything. Yeah. He's like, well, no, like, you know, Roman laws, I I, I have control over my daughter and the, the emperor wants to marry her so she can go with him instead of 
you know, applying the other Roman laws, which say actually she's betrothed to somebody already. You know, he's just so single-minded and, and doesn't listen to reason. So those are his two flaws, I think, is that he's, he's maybe he has three flaws. I, I, this feels like the Spanish Inquisition sketch. Four, His four, three four flaws. flaws. <laughs> I'll come in again. Um, he's too modest. He's too bound by his um, his honor, mm-hmm. and he doesn't listen to uh, second re- to reason at all. Yeah. Um, and I think that that ultimately is what causes every single one of the deaths in the play. Except for Aaron's. Aaron caused his own death. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. yeah. Which is a pretty brutal death, if you think about it. Yeah. Buried up to the neck in sand and left to die. Yeah. It's it's, it's unique amongst all of the gruesome ways that yeah. Shakespeare kills off his characters. Yeah. I'll yeah. Say. Aiden, who do you think is responsible? I think I took... Did I take your... Were you going to say no. Titus? Oh, you no. weren't. Oh. Uh, you uh, brought an interesting point. Of course, you bypassed the one who's actually responsible. Oh, right. Who actually did the first wrong thing, mm. which was Saturninus. Oh, okay. Because... Uh, as you mentioned, Titus was doing everything fine. He was being a good Roman. He was just, you know, killing sons and passing up the emperorship as one does when you're a good right. Roman soldier. Yes. You don't seek power. It's, you know, betrothed uh, patrilineally uh, through blood, okay. as as we all know is the proper way to do things. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> but realistically, uh, I can't fault anything Titus does in those early moments of the play okay. when he's... When he chooses Saturninus, there's there's a stupid logic, but it is a consistently stupid logic that he uses, which is that this is how we do things in Rome. Mm-hmm. He is, as you mentioned, captured by that that whole you know system of Roman thinking. Mm-hmm. Saturninus is not, and that's where his flaw comes. Okay. Why does he not just kill Tamora? Like she's pretty. Sure, I get it. What's the actress's name again? Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang looks great in that movie. I have to admit, <laughs> she got the build for a for a warrior queen as well. Um, but dear God, you have to kill her or put her in chains. You do not capture a, a a powerful woman and then marry her. You you can marry her. Did you learn nothing from Antony and Cleopatra? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is the point. Like there's there's just so many things wrong with what he does. Yes. Uh, and he is like he's the he's the like. I guess it's just stupid evil character on the yeah. DD chart. Like he's yeah. just he's clueless that what he's doing is wrong. I mean, he hates his brother Massianus, and he he doesn't treat him very well. Right. And but he does, you know, when Tamora kind of plays the the middle woman and and kind of says, "Oh, let's all be friends," you know, Saturnus is like, "Okay, okay, I can get over that, right?" But um, he doesn't he doesn't do anything that he should uh, up to that point, and mm. so it's. It's his fault that everybody dies. If if Tamora spends her life in chains, then nothing happens in this play either, right? It is his decision to marry her out of nowhere uh, when he has a perfectly good Lavinia. Well, I guess Lavinia ran away first. But anyways, he... he oh, are you blaming Lavinia? Are yeah, you victim-blaming yeah. Lavinia at this point? I'm actually blaming Tamora. Victim-blaming Tamora. Yeah, for, you're how dare you lose a war to the Romans? <laughs> Come on. What do you think is going to happen, girl? So... Yeah, okay. that's my answer. All right. All right. I don't know if there's a winner in this one. No, I th- you made some good points. So did you. All right. This Wait. sucks. We really need to have a third person to come in and maybe we should throw it to our listeners. Yeah. You can chime in with who do you think won <laughs> marriage counseling this week. Or who do you think caused all the problems? Maybe yeah. some people are like, it's Aaron, obviously. Yeah, Aaron well, was the too. one who's yeah, pulling exactly. all the strength. Yeah. Who knows? There's, yeah. there's other points Maybe it was made. the baby. You're blaming a baby. <laughs> wow, that's a new low, even for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is really low. Um, as we mentioned, our next play episode will be Richard the Third. I'm really looking forward to that one because yeah. it's one of my favorite plays. I really enjoy the yeah, the, the uh, tragic hero. Oh yeah, we're gonna Richard get into that. This is this is gonna be an interesting one. This is a long-standing feud between the two of us. Um, and uh, in between, we'll have another topical episode. I don't know if we've decided yeah, we on that quite yet, decided, but, but uh, stay tuned to social media and we will announce the topic at some point before the uh, the episode drops or the day of uh, yeah, the dropping knows? of the episode. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah, but hopefully you'll tune in for that. And uh, as always... We don't have a sign-off, Lindsay. I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, we do have a sign-off, but what I was going to say is just going to repeat what the sign-off is that we always add to the end of every episode. Which is... You know, our 
our social media. Oh, stuff. that. Oh, like, okay. You know. I see what you're going and for. And then that's our cue to exit because, you know, pursued by bear. I don't know if anybody's gotten that joke yet. I'm sure everybody's gotten that If joke. they listen that far, maybe they just stop it. Yeah, I'm maybe sure they do, it's yeah. like it's like the Marvel movie credits. Do people, <laughs> but people don't know. It's like the first Marvel movie. Nobody sat through the credits. Oh, everybody sat through the credits. Did they? Yeah. I don't know. I don't like Marvel movies. Maybe you don't. Is that the end of the yes, episode? <laughs> okay. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.